Pod Mode Podcast with Andy Case and special guest. Hello and welcome to the Bonmo Podcast. This week, Beth Granville is interviewing herself while I just sit back and chip in with tarsome observations and some humour. And with that, over to Beth. Hi, I'm Beth Granville. I am a comedy writer and performer. I like to run comedy masterclasses in acting and teaching uh, script writing. I work as a script consultant uh, and you can find more out about me because I'm not famous enough for you to know who I am probably um, on my website bethgranville.com. What's hilarious actually about your first question is this is four questions in one isn't it that I'm asking? No this? it is a bit cheeky. I, I it, accept the fact that it I'm is. I was halfway through I was like hold on this isn't question one. Um, so favorite my favorite song uh, my favourite song is, I like this question because I spend way too much time thinking about what I would take on Desert Island Discs. Oh, nice. And, um, I think about it way too much for someone who's never been asked to go on Desert Island Discs. Um, but you're ready. I'm, I'm so ready. I am so ready. Um, but, you know, they get, you can keep one. Mm. Um, mine would be 100% Endurance by Yard Act. Wow. Um, and it's a song that sort of just changed the way I see the world. And I always think that any art that changes the way you you exist is so powerful and so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you're aware of it, but put it on, listen to it. The lyrics are phenomenal. Okay. Um, it's very like it's very humanist and very it's also pointless, but that's beautiful. You know, it's about <laughs> living, you know, and um, yeah, there's these lyrics at the end. Um they say, uh, give it everything you've got, knowing that you can't take it with you and all you ever needed to exist has always been within you. Give me some of that good stuff, that human spirit. Cut it with 100% endurance. And I think oh, that is words to live by. I just, it's so just energetic and powerful and I just love it. The Yard Act were a band that I discovered. I didn't discover them, obviously. Uh, Six <laughs> Music did. Uh, that's where I get all my music from. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they they were new to me last year and um, sort of catapulted immediately into one of my favourite bands of all time. Oh, um, I will listen to that because I haven't. Uh, I'm I'm with you on the. Um, it's you though because I'm uh, at the moment I'm clearing out the house of all the stuff I've kept for no apparent reason that no one else would want, and it's um, just just lose it, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. My favourite book is Dorian Gray, Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde. Um, just obsessed with it, read it a few times. Always had, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because obviously there's loads of incredible books, but I adore Dorian Gray. Yes. Um, my favourite film is The Wizard of Oz. Nice. Um, always has been since I was young. And obviously there's so many films I've loved in between. But um, I went to see it. I was in LA for a couple of months last year, which sounds more glamorous than it was. Um, <laughs> I was very skint, dog sitting, trying to trying to make it big in LA for a few months. Uh, and my lovely friend got me a ticket to see The Wizard of Oz outdoors in the cemetery where Judy Garland's buried, where a load of famous people are buried there. And it was an evening outdoor performance with Prosecco and a picnic and nice. uh, Judy Garland's daughter, not Liza Minnelli, but Lorna Luft was there and sang. It was just, it was incredible. And yeah, and anyway, I haven't watched it properly all the way through. So as you do as you watch films when you're older, I, I've watched it a bit at Christmas and New Year when it's been on, but yeah. um, I watched it and I was like, oh my God, I'm Dorothy. I'm just going around with 
my friends having adventures and trying to I don't know it was yeah I saw loads of humor in it so many jokes that I totally missed when I was younger and so I was like no you know what that's still my favorite film um so yeah that um it's 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 interesting I think you're possibly one of the first I've interviewed that said they do have one because a lot of people say it depends on the day or it depends on my mood or it depends on so I appreciate you saying no no here we go. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. It's got everything. It's got songs and meaning and witches. And yeah, it's just, it's great. It's so great. And it's so camp now, which I didn't realise then. But um, yeah, I, it's, I, it just, it feels like my world. It feels like I'm living in that world with slightly less heroin. Um, <laughs> uh, so oh, yeah, God. it just... I felt very seen and I must have from a young age, which I think is really interesting because the things we're drawn to when you're young, I re learned recently that we're born with 400 personality traits. And, and then I think that, you know, to come back to those lyrics, um, that thing about all you ever needed to exist has always been within you really resonated with me where I just thought we well, were born the person we're always going to be. Yeah. And I, it fascinates me just, you know, who I was when I was younger and how I was, drawn to what I was drawn to, you know, putting on shows, playing characters and all of the dark things that I liked and the camp things that I liked and loved men in makeup from when I was really young. You know, my mum used to have this friend uh, who wore, he wore eyeliner and makeup and I was obsessed with him from when I was about three. <laughs> and I'm like, how, how did I know I loved men in makeup even from when I was young? It's just funny. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by it. So. I love it. I think also I should just point out if BBC commissioners are listening, the fact that Beth does have all her choices nailed. Yeah. A great guess for Desert Island Disc. Just want to Honestly. just want to put that in there that she's got all her choices ready. You don't have no faffing about. Just get her on there and Yeah, exactly. Like please get me on there. I would <laughs> I would give anything to be on Desert. That I'll I will have you know when people are like, When will you know you've made it? It'll be then, it'll be when I get asked to go on Desert Island Disc. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be your highlight. It's like, yes. <laughs> it really will. Um, yeah. Um, so question two, I'm asking myself via your email of question, list of questions. Um, Favourite joke or observation? Again, like different ones for different days. And I, mm -hmm. I'll say that this is one of my favourites because, of course, there are hundreds. Um but I love, and I use this quite a lot when I'm teaching various comedy, like masterclasses or whatever. I love James Acaster's bit on the cheese grater. <laughs> I'm familiar with it, but I think I'm fascinated by how different people's brains work. And some of my favourite comedians, they just see the world in a completely different way to everybody else. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with it. Like, mm. and I can't look at a cheese grater now ever without thinking of James Acaster's bit on a cheese grate about the cheese grater. It's so good. Mm. And I think, you know, people always say when you're doing stand up, like mine it and just when you think you've talked as much as you possibly can on one thing, go further, go further, go further. Yeah. And um yeah, that just nails everything for me. And his delivery is obviously always superb. Um, but yeah, if anyone's listening and they aren't familiar with it, if you just put into YouTube, James Acaster, cheese grater. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've found in the past, every so often, a 
one of the comedians I love will, will pick up on something I've noticed but never thought of mentioning because I think I'm the only one. Then I'm really annoyed that I was, <laughs> oh, I could have nabbed that one. Um, but a lot more often, actually, they're saying things that I haven't thought of, but the second they say it, you're like, exactly. oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the genius of it. You're yeah. like, well, of course that. Like, of course, every time I've looked at a cheese grater, of course it's been a... You know, I look at the bit for slicing cheese and think, who uses that? I'd never use that. But obviously it's taking that observation yeah, to that next place. Yeah. I just think it's, it's just genius, isn't it? It's just, it's just that skill of being able to look at a mundane object but go, oh, but who uses that? And the moment that you say it, everyone in the room goes, yeah, actually... It's genius. Who uses that? <laughs> yeah, it's the element of surprise in it and the recognition and it's just got just got everything. Yes. A good bit of obs observational comedy needs. So, yeah, I'd say I'm going to say that one. Yeah. Um, your next question is, uh, which comedian or sketch first made me laugh? And I guess that's, that's again, hard to say. I, you know, watched, loved comedy from very early on. Mm -hmm. It was probably something like Sooty Sweep and Sue, wasn't it? You know, that oh, made wow. me laugh originally. I don't know. But, <laughs> Like, it would have been a kid's show, I guess. But yeah. um, when I was young, I used to watch a lot of... Uh, Rick Mail did a series called Grim Tales. Yes. Yeah. And uh, oh, I was obsessed with it. And then we were talking... My brother now has children, um, uh, twin boys. Um, they're two. And we were saying about... Joe was saying, oh, I wonder if they'll like the things that I show them that they like, you know. And yeah. so we were like, oh, I wonder how that's aged. So we watched... Me and my brother and our parents binge watched a load of, and they've they have aged well. They're really funny. Rick Mail would just sit in his pajamas, yes, in his big armchair that was like an eagle, and tell these stories with this really dark, cool animation, and tell these versions of these yeah tales, fairy tales, right? Yeah. Um, oh, I adored them, and then I went on to you know love like. Young Ones and Bottom, and Rick Mail was one of my comedy heroes oh, always. He's an absolute god, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm so old that I have a grandson now, and I do um, sometimes have to sit and watch the frenetic light show that is the modern, some of the modern stuff on telly, and I just think, I don't, is this good for you? Because a lot of it does feel like it's strobing messages um, covertly into your brain, because it's just like, <laughs> you know, all over the place, isn't it? And it's just frenetic. And it's like, what? Well, where's the calming, nice, calm sort of stuff I seem to remember from my childhood? Um, well, I've not seen any. I've not been exposed to any of that yet. So, so as soon as my nephews try putting that off, it'll probably, uh, putting that on, it'll probably go back off again. You're so um, lucky. You are so, so lucky. And they like just riding around on buses and trains at the moment. And I'm very happy to get on a train with them, but I won't be getting on a bus because they make me travel sick. So I was like, I love them. <laughs> Not that much. around on a bus with them. Um, yeah. Because oh, no, we even went out to the park and you're in the middle of nowhere. And of course, because I'm so old, I'm thinking, great, we're in a park. They won't be able to watch it in the park. And then, of course, they're watching it because there's still Wi-Fi signal or, or, you know, phone signal. How old are they? Uh, well, him, he's just the one. He's uh, three now. Oh, okay. But of course, because we went out to the park, and I thought, it's park, middle of nowhere. Won't be able to get a signal. It's like, no, you can still get a signal. Of course you can, because it's 2023, isn't it? Of yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's, um... No, but Rick is Rick is a god. Everything, every time he turned up in something, it was like, yes. You know, even, um... Uh, oh, God, what was that? Crime... 
Jonathan Craig, even when he just suddenly appeared in Jonathan mm. and things, it just just appeared. You know, I didn't know he was going to be on it, and then it's like, God, he's just incredible. Everything he does, every everything he does, whatever character he plays, he's just amazing, wasn't he? So yeah, so funny, so compelling, such a great face. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, big um, big fan of Rick. I was still mm. am. Um, so this question, most outrageous request to do a sketch gig script for no money or exposure and how did I handle it? Um, I have, I have, I think my, my bugbear more than that stuff, which I hate because people should be paid to do stuff and I hate being expected to do stuff for free. I, I don't like, yeah, I feel like I, people ask, I'm, I work as a script consultant, so give notes on people's scripts and do sessions with them to make their scripts better. I'll punch them up. I'll do, you know, and I do a lot of that kind of work for stand-up, sitcom, short, I just worked on a couple of um, short films in LA and working on a feature in LA now. Brilliant. Um, so I, and I love that kind of work. I love, and it's so nice because you get to sort of be a writer and come up with ideas and help generate things. You get to ask the right questions to help somebody make their script better. Yes. There's no element of competition, you know. We're all telling our own stories from our own points of view. No two writers are going to write the same thing. No. Just thrilling to be part of somebody's um, vision, you know, and I, I really, really love doing it. But I do that for a job, right? Um, so people who say to me, oh, do you mind just having a read of my script and giving some thoughts? And I'm like, well, no, that's literally my job. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot, and that's that's frustrating when things don't get valued. The same as, like, I can't just go down the road into my beauticians and be like, hi, sorry, could you just have a look at my forehead? Yeah, there's a few lines. You just pop a bit of Botox in there. It'll take you two seconds. Is that all right? Yeah. I no, I have to pay for that. It's very expensive, um, yeah. So, yeah, your, your services are creative in general. You've got to... I've learned to have such good boundaries on things. It's like, oh, what do you think of this idea? And I'm like... I'm not, no, i got to think of my own idea. Like, I am still generating ideas, writing treatments and pitches and stuff for free for myself. Yeah. I can't do that for other people. I can't, yeah. of course, with very close friends. And, of course, you know, I love talking about people's ideas over a pint in the pub or, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to block stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, I find it really interesting when people reach out and they don't know you that well or they're not. And you're like, wow, you're literally asking, no. I did it for years for free. That's how I'm so good at it. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, it's my job. So I think that and my other bugbear in the industry is things disguised as opportunities. <laughs> um, I hate opportunities. Yes. And, and they're not transparent and they want loads of admin. They take up loads of time and they might give a certain brief and then 10,000 writers will submit something. And then you'll find out that actually they were only ever going to make something that only had two people in it because that was all the money they had and it had to be set in a flat. And so 9,580 people have completely wasted their time because they haven't even got feedback on it. And no, it's no. like, who are the people read? Who are the readers? Who are the, you know, like, and then as somebody who's had a fair few commissions now and I've written on lots of shows and yes, indeed. I've done all, you know, I've, I've worked in the industry a good while. I've never so much as been shortlisted for any of those opportunities. And so I hate the idea that, you know, because I was in a position where I was doing live comedy sketches and pursuing things. And I was like, you know, uh, taking things up to Edinburgh, self-funded. Yeah. Um, 
And so I was able to get that instant feedback. So I was like, I, I think I'm funny. I need to see if this works. So I, you know, do sketch shows and I took my play up there and then you're in front of an audience and people are laughing. So you go, well, I know that's good. I know I'm funny. I know, you know, so I've had a script that didn't get past like the first read in like BBC Writers Room, like whatever, like so many things. Mm. And then it got like, five stars critics pick of the fringe with the stage and called the perfect comedy and the Scotsman gave it the most incredible review. And then I got a series from it, you know, and if, and I feel like so many writers who aren't in a position to take their work somewhere and they're just using these opportunities, <laughs> they're going to just think they're not good enough. And, and there's not enough yeah. transparency. So much work goes into it, so much disappointment. And then you get everybody on social media going, oh, guys, I made it to the last 75,000. I'm so thrilled. And I was like, oh, well done. And I'm like, okay, cool. But, like, nobody sends something off thinking it's rubbish. So, like, bear in mind. I just don't like the, the competition element in the industry because oh. everybody has a voice that's important and of course some scripts are shit like I'm sure I've written some shit scripts I'm not saying oh everyone should have a prize I just don't like the opportunity prize competition element of it I think there should just be better ways to I totally agree I've, I've had this I've mentioned this in other podcasts so I'll keep it brief but I've had scripts that have gone have been picked as finalist scripts and in, in my head, I'm thinking, that's it, off to Hollywood, they're going to be making this next year, and then nothing, absolutely nothing, just a void of nothing. <laughs> well, that's really nice to hear. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's awful for you. But but that's the that's a really important other side of it, right? So, yeah. Um, and, and actually, when I think about it, I've read lots of people's bios who was, oh, I was finalist in this four years ago and nothing's happened so yeah it makes sense that it makes everyone feel a bit shit because then if you're a finalist in something and then it doesn't get anywhere you're like well, what what if you know that doesn't go anywhere you go well what do I have then what's the point like yeah. and there's no linear journey in anything creative and that's okay but there's just not enough sort of support money and no, no. yeah and people trying to convince you if you enter um, so-and-so, you know, it's Golden Riches just over the hill. Um, and even recently there's been, I won't name the particular company for obvious reasons, but I had an email that very much read as you've been selected to have a conversation um, with this producer in LA. And you go, oh, bloody hell, that's great. Off I go. And then when you actually start looking into it, it's like after you've given us $300, Oh, I know it's sick. No, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm that's not how this industry works. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you said I'd be my script had been selected, not give us some money, and we'll put you in front of someone you've never heard of who isn't going to do anything for your career at all. Yeah, it's such a racket. It's just it is a racket. I was just about to say it's a racket, and um, yeah, people just need to talk about it more and understand that you know it's like people paying to be with a manager. It's like that isn't how it works. You should never be paying somebody money ever no, um, until they, you know, you have a contract and they take a cut of your yes. money if they're managing you obviously or whatever. But yeah, it's really, there's a, and nobody sort of really teaches you or shows you. There's no way you can go to learn how to navigate all of this, I don't think. So I do like to talk about it because um, I think it's important because I think people do measure their worth as a writer by those mm -hmm. BAFTA, Rowcliffe, BBC Writers Room, all of those things that 
it's like if you don't get anywhere there, not only do you feel rubbish, but it's so hard to get a reply from an agent. Most production companies are unsolicited, don't accept unsolicited scripts. No. So you really feel that, well, where do I go? Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you're writing and not performing. Mm. And I would say to people, you know, collaborate with performers, you know, like link up with performers you think are good that might want to read your work. Cause, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like, if someone closes the door, kick the window in because just find a way to do it and get it on and get it heard, mm. um, relentlessly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think that's great advice. I think um, you, you've got to be tough in this game, haven't you? Because I always try and think of it in terms of if you look at, I do this sometimes, if you watch an old film, um, any film really, but if you, particularly the old films where they used to put up all the extras kind of at the end, if you look at all those people in that film and all those people in the film that probably thought, this is it now, you know, next time I'll be the A-list star and I'll be, and you've never heard of most of them again. You know, they mm -hmm. had one time on the screen and that was their one time on the screen. Possibly they appeared once or twice. But it's a very small pool of people who get to that top bit, isn't it? Not that you should give up. You definitely kick the window in, but you just have to be realistic that you can't just say, I've written a script or I've written a sketch or I've written you know, whatever. That automatically translates into success. And even if it's great, as you said, it doesn't necessarily automatically translate into success. No, it doesn't. And I think it's... Part of the, th you have to find joy in just writing and creating. You have to be able to experience joy in your day job, side hustles, yeah. whatever that is. Um, it can't all be resting on something getting made because that's only one thing and that just won't make you happy. Just like no other one thing will, a relationship won't, no one thing is enough. But I think it's finding joy and, and making it the best it can be because learning is a joy and making it better and writing is, you just need to make that, your thing um and keep pushing um but also it's managing expectations isn't it because mm -hmm. i don't think anyone should give up unless they're not enjoying it anymore because if somebody had told me at the start of the career of my career when i did my first comedy sketches and all i wanted from when i was young was my own tv sitcom commissioned yeah. um i did my first sketches in 2017 2007 sorry 2007 i wish 2017 <laughs> 2007 and if someone had said listen don't worry in just 16 short years you'll have a tv sitcom commissioned i would have been like oh fuck that i'm gonna go and be a lawyer <laughs> yeah. i went to it yeah uh, i'm from a very working class background a lawyer wouldn't have been in my head i don't know what i would have done but I wouldn't have, I, I would have been 16, can you imagine? But that is how long it's taken. I've written, you know, I've had radio series commissioned and I've taken my plays up to Edinburgh and everything in between. But if some, if I, the thing I wanted, if someone could have waved a magic wand and yeah. said, what do you want? I would have gone my own TV show commissioned. My, mm -hmm. you know, I want a sitcom on the telly. Like, um, so yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, again, this has come up before, but, oh, sorry, on other records, but. It's when people get marked as overnight success, and it's like it's it's not because they've been on the circuit for ten years, fifteen years, you know, and they've been doing everything they can and every hustle and going to, and going to gigs and driving ridiculous mileage to do this gig and putting the hours in or writing all those scripts or yeah whatever it is, but they've been putting all that time in. What what hasn't happened is they haven't woken up on a Monday, written a sketch, and then the next day you know the BBC are on the phone saying we want to commission an eight mm. series it, it doesn't you know you've got to work at it haven't you so yeah you know, so um, someone said to you at the start 
by the way. <laughs> if someone had given me that sitcom then as well, it would have been awful. Mm. You know, even I, you know, things happen at the right time as well. You've got to have those years of experience. You've, you've yes. just got to. And keep investing, doing courses. You know, I've met amazing collaborators through courses and mentors, um, industry people. I did a course at Arvon, which was one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah. It was a comedy writing course. Um, Chris Douglas was my mentor and t teacher who writes Ed Ridden on Radio 4. He's incredible, really lovely, brilliant, talented guy. Um who, you know, became a friend after the course and he's been so supportive. So, like, always, you know, meeting people and collaborating and finding new stuff and getting better, you know, never thinking, oh, I'm great now, this script's perfect. Like, I, <laughs> my script, wow, what was it? I thought it was ready in March, right? And then I did a final few sweeps of it in April and then there was a delay on sending it out because of Easter and then all the bank holidays and we had, like, a new king or whatever as if anyone cared, well, some people cared, I certainly didn't care. Cared, um, but like loads of stuff happened, so there was a delay. Um, and uh, I looked at it again, obviously then, before it was going out to networks, my producer was sending it out to networks. And I was like, oh my God, thank God, this didn't go off two months ago. <laughs> you know, like I saw so much new stuff in it. So yeah. like, and and now I'm not looking at it because they've got it now. So I'm no, just like, I oh, I'll see something else. I really wouldn't, um, yeah. Mm. so we can all keep getting better all the time you know like it's yeah it's, it's a process I, I, um, do agree. I, I mean I got into script writing quite late but equally I do I know realistically that if if you know when you say I wish I started doing this when I was 18 or whatever I do also know they would have been bloody awful um pieces of work you know they just would have been because I hadn't got these life experience I hadn't learned things I hadn't read things I hadn't you know it, they would have just been really awful to boring tiresome ripped off from someone else kind of scripts you know um it's so you do need i'm not saying you have to wait until you're like 80 until you start writing but you know you do need a period of time don't you to sort of round yourself and have yeah and you know. yeah definitely and have those adventures and allow stories to happen and i think that's why going out and being active and doing stuff traveling and having experiences mm. is so important you know when you want to write as well because yeah that's going to like feed your creative soul and you'll bring you joy as well, hopefully. And um, yeah, I think it's about not forcing things and everybody's journey. Everything happens at different times for different people. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of my career going, how have they got that now? Oh my God. <laughs> about that. And then it was like, oh my God, if I don't make it by the time I'm 30, then I may as well be dead. Um, so I've gone through a lot of that. And I'm like, do you know what? And I got my commission last year and I was like, oh, this has happened at exactly the right time. That yeah. meeting, this, so many things aligned. And I'm mm. like, thank God nobody gave me that a few years ago. Because I just, yeah, I think time, experience, um, knowing good collaborators, all those things are really beneficial. But, but it is finding time to, you know, also, those things might never happen. So we have to all make peace with that as well, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. um, the thing we want, whether that's a BAFTA or a, whatever we want, we can't be assured of anything no. other than death and taxes and a Tory government, apparently. That's all we seem to have had forever. Um, so <laughs> yeah. they're the only things. Yeah, the rise of the far right, that's something we can be very certain of that's happening. But yeah. other than that, um, yes. there's a... Do you know what I mean? There doesn't seem to be for anyone. You know, someone can do something amazing. You don't. They don't know if they're going to get a commission again. Like, 
I, um, someone was telling me the other day about Sarah Lancashire doing a self tape for something, and I'm like, Sarah Lancashire's still not knowing if she's going to get certain jobs. I oh, know it's incredible. You know, it's mad. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I I went wildly off track there, but the next question no, is, um, if only one comedy festival was allowed to survive, which would you fight for and why? I um. I, I think Edinburgh's become, I know it's not a comedy festival, it's the world's largest art festival, but there's a lot of comedy there, obviously. Um, I It's just become wildly inaccessible, Edinburgh, so that can go straight in the bin now, um, because I just don't know who can afford that. I had a friend doing it last year with his show, was getting into so much debt, and he had some funding as well, and he was selling loads of tickets for the show. It won an award, it did really well. Um lost so much money and mm. he was staying in this apartment he was staying in a cupboard in a bunk bed mm. um, in an air I, I was up with a production company so I had nice accommodation paid for for me which was really nice yeah. um, on the last night I stayed with him mm. and um yeah it was in a cupboard windowless yeah a bunk bed a double bunk bed so we were near the ceiling so I kept waking up feeling like I'd been buried alive oh Christ so he, I kept waking up like <gasps> so we <laughs> in it all month all month he'd been in there then his stage manager was on a mattress in the living room oh, and the two boys had who had like a bit more money they were able to afford it more had the two bedrooms they were paying seven thousand pounds for a month yeah it's mad isn't it it's just seven thousand pounds that yeah. should be illegal like how is that it's even crazy. allowed and i'm like i actually don't want any a part of that like yeah. i'm not being a part of that system like I just think it's absolutely bleak. So my thing would be, and um, and I, I find quite a few of the festivals inaccessible. And I think it's really hard because um, train travel's expensive and Airbnbs are expensive. And so mm -hmm. even, you know, when someone before invited me to come and do um, a podcast at MacFest and it was paid, but the fee, and it wasn't a bad fee. I think it was 150 quid I got offered to come and do this podcast. It was a live recording at MacFest. And... Um, the train was £150, so I would have... <laughs> yeah. The yeah. fee wasn't enough to... It's, this country is so fucked up. Like, yeah. it's just... So that makes it inaccessible. So how do I go as a punter then? And then i got to find accommodation, but there isn't any because Mac's so small and then everything's sold out. Like, everything can go in the bin for me at the moment. I think a comedy festival, grassroots, start our own, that's linked everywhere... But live streamed in every city, towns, like we do them in as many as possible and we make it like the Edinburgh Fringe, but it's the whole country. I don't know. I haven't thought it through. I've just thought of it now. I, like the idea. I do like the idea. This, this, I, I'm 100% with you on that because I I wish I was making, because I uh, shorts and obviously I eventually want to do a feature at some point before I die, hopefully, but I'd like to make more, but I can't bring myself to con people. So I have to have the money to pay people to do the job they're turning off. Even though I've worked with some people, they're going, oh, I'll do mates rates. It's like, no, no, I, I respect the fact you're offering mates rates, but actually I want to pay people properly for their work, for your worth. You know, you, you've you've had to buy the equipment to be a DOP. Yeah. You've had to learn your trade to be a makeup artist you, or a special effects artist. You, you know, you've had to learn your craft to be an actor. I, I'm not going to be the person, and I see it quite often on social media where they say, you know, two days in London, blah, blah, some character, blah, 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 we'll pay you 50 quid. And it's like, unless they live in London. Even if you just, live in London, you're going to spend that in Pret on your way. Exactly. And on the tube. And I can't like it's... to do it. So I don't make as much as I 
want to do but when i do make it i know i can pay people and i put them up in the hotels you know i've made sure they're looked after and i pay the bills for the food and stuff so it's much slower much much slower but i know i'm not cheating anyone yeah so i can live with myself you know yeah i always pay people for their work um sometimes people are out of my budget and that's okay too you know like i think yeah yeah 100 percent um there just seems to be such a disparity in wealth and such a sort of uneven, nobody's being paid enough, but everything's really expensive. So we're all kind of trying to manage whatever this is at the moment, you know. You might give a fee and then someone's like, that's expensive. And you're like, well, yeah, but that's how much life is. But then I get that they haven't got that money either. We're all just passing bits of money between, you know, everyone's trying to make it work while it's being hoarded at the top, Um, whether that's by an Edinburgh landlord or a... um government but yeah um question five is have i got any lucky things i take with me uh no i'm not that type of person i'm lucky if i got my purse and my phone um (laughs) i i remember the first writer's room i ever did i didn't have my laptop with me because i i wasn't sure if i was writing or if i was just going to like Oh, anyway, not knowing how the industry works and massive imposter syndrome. So I didn't take my laptop, which was so... And they were like, right, okay. I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to like not do work. So I paired up with somebody, but I'd written a load of jokes in the dock the night before on my laptop. And then, oh, I just didn't know, God love me. So no, I don't take anything to be lucky. I don't even take what I need. <laughs> um, uh, question six uh, is, a, is a great question. If I could steal anything and say that I'd written it. Um, I you can get away with this, by the way. You, you, a lot of people start worrying about, I'd get found out. It's like, just, it, we're in the world of... Oh, I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> Fair enough, good. Um, yeah, this country. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's I just think it's one of the best sitcoms ever made of all time. I just think it's genius. Um, yeah, I just think it's beautiful. It's got pathos, and it's mm. like, I remember watching it, in, I was on my own, and um, which isn't always the funnest way to watch comedy. I, I like watching stuff with people, but I was crying. I was proper belly laughing. The scene with Mandy and Kerry and Curtin with the tattoos. I don't know how well you know it, but Kerry going for a tattoo and then Mandy's drawings are awful. I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, if a sitcom can make me do that on first watch on my own, yeah. completely sober... I, I just, I think it's genius. So, yeah, this country would probably be the one I'd nick. Um, Choice. And the next question is, uh, what work I'm most proud of, right? Yeah, um, there's loads, so you can cherry pick which one you want. Okay, yeah. Um, mm. I, I'm, in terms of what I've created so far in my career, there's lots. I'm proud of where I am and, and so much of what I've done, but I think oh. the script that I've, had commissioned last year which is being pitched at the moment i'm i i'm so happy with it i'm so yeah. proud it feels like it's brought everything together it's yeah. you know my like, characters jokes the world i want to write about i've been very like politically active um for well since 2010 sort of 10, 12 really when this government really got got going um <laughs> but yeah a lot of campaigning a lot of my time aside from writing, has been dedicated to uh, being politically active, mm-hmm. being in Calais, working with refugees. Well, I haven't done that for a long time, but that was I was doing that for a period of years. Um, I was a nanny for 
for a, a lot of years. Um, and so it's my script encapsulates everything about being a working class artist, mm. having to be a nanny while straddling, while doing what seems like from the outside. I'm writing for Derek Jacobi and I'm recording with him and I've got this glamorous, exciting side to my mm -hmm. life. And then I've got this other side, you know, so yeah. trying to survive as a woman in a creative industry um, when, you know, we're so underrepresented. I think 9% of comedy is written by women. 8% um, mm. of artists are working class. That's that's musicians, performers and writers. And so as a working class woman, I reckon my odds are about 0.03%. Somebody who's amazing at maths told me. So I think I just feel like this, I got the opportunity. I got paid a de really decent amount of money to write this pilot because they liked the idea it's an American company. And um, I just used that money and that time to really breathe. And everything's gone into it. Everything about who I am and what I've learned. And I'm just, as a script now, well, it's going out. I'm like, do you know what? Whatever happens with, you know, I'm so, I've, I've done the best I can do with that one. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, that's probably almost certainly my most proud thing. Brilliant. Well, let's, um, uh, let's wait to see that air when you start talking about it yeah yeah i think it's gonna be a banger um one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe swallow you whole um i think every time i walk past an estate agent <laughs> <laughs> um or every time the government says something new that's awful about what's happening that's with our country. I think it's a really like challenging time to live through with the yes. cost of living crisis and housing crisis. And I've got a lot of friends who are doing really well, you know, in West End shows and the people who, you know, really worked hard. And even, even if you don't work, you should be looked after and you should have a home and you shouldn't have the indignity yes. of queuing outside a food bank. I just, I feel like, it's a daily struggle, like in terms of, you know, there's so much joy in my life and so much to be grateful for. Yes. But I feel like living through what we're living through feels really mm. sad and really shit that there's so much every day. If it's trans people, refugees, everybody that's just being so horrendously scapegoated and attacked. Um, yes. yeah, it feels very heavy times to be living through, which I think is why, you know, the, so much commentary in my work that always has to be because it's inseparable, you know, we're taught like, don't talk about politics. And it's like, we live politics, it's everything. It's everything. It's the price of your petrol to drive to work. It's the food you're having. It's, it's everything. You can't shut it down, you know? And I think, um, yeah. So I, I think it's really hard sort of making progression in your career and feeling like you're in a really good place and feeling like oh great but I'm debating buying ketchup or not because it's £4.70 because yeah, yeah, wages yeah. haven't gone up but everything else has I think yeah I guess that question could be like I was on stage and I said this and someone said this and I could have made that funny but um what yeah. struck me at the moment I think with the news the last couple of days yeah. whenever yeah. anybody yeah. listens to this but yeah. it's uh heavy yeah yeah, the the um, yes, the amount of hate speech uh, or the increasing amount of hate speech is just horrifying. And I can't, without getting too much into it, now, so I'll just start getting angry. But the 
they're supposed to be a government. They're supposed to be the government for the people. They're supposed to be, you know. Are they? I don't think the Tories have ever said they're the no. government for the people. <laughs> I don't think, no, I don't think they are at all. But you know, when you have a government, they're supposed to be doing Yes, correct. And, and I, I get that you're going to make mistakes and not everything will be perfect and not everyone will be perfectly looked after, or whatever. But just the constant failures and then covering up with hate and just more hate and just targeting more and more people with hate. And it's like, how is this governing? I, it, it's not, is it? It's just, just spewing hatred um, and never apologising for anything, and and nothing's ever their fault. And the whole Trump kind of model, I suppose, really, where you know, it just we're not apologising for anything, and um, we hate everyone unless they're well, presumably white-ish um, and rich. Um, you know. Otherwise, you can die as far as we're concerned, you know, um, or, or we'll stir up so you'll get beaten up and killed potentially. Um, and you just think, I can't believe this is a government who's saying this. You know, I could understand fra you know, factional groups, far right groups saying this stuff because that's what you expect them to say. But a government, you just think. Am I yeah, we're living through. It's like we're living through the history we were taught at school it's like oh that's happening okay and i i thought i watched cabaret recently <laughs> um in the in uh london and um that moment where he takes his jacket off at the party and he's got a swastika on his arm and they're like <clears throat> and i i just got goosebumps over my whole body i was like we're living through it and what were people doing they were going to parties i'm going to pubs i'm going to gigs i'm still we're all living while this is all happening if mm. what what were people doing while this was happening oh this is what they're doing <laughs> it's yeah, is is wild. I I I what listen to Animal Farm on audiobook because they've got it on BBC oh. Sounds on um, a drive from London to Wales the other week, and I was sobbing. I was like, oh, I have not listened to this in a long time, and it did not resonate and hit the back then the way it did now with no. the no. the gaslighting and the oh, I I mean, it was it was obviously famously wildly prophetic as George Orwell was. Um, it, it was another level, like listening to that after Brexit, especially and everything is quite disturbing. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, I wouldn't recommend it, actually. I genuinely had puffy eyes the next day. I had to put cucumbers on them because I tried to look <laughs> for the car back. So, yeah, don't don't recommend no. um, unless you're someone whose mind needs changing, which you're clearly not. <laughs> um, yeah, I um the next question I was going to say, what uh, what would I not tell up and coming people so they can suffer like I did. I thought I, what I'm always interested in is do I, I'm, I think I'm quite glad I didn't know how low the percentages were for people who were working class and for women mm -hmm. in my industry. I'd like to not tell people that, but not for a sinister reason so they can suffer like I did, but for a positive reason because I think there's so many people it would put off and I hate that. I remember this guy came, um, I was part of the BBC Comedy Room for a year in 2017 and a writer came in to talk to us and he was like, oh, less less than 1% of things ever get commissioned or made, so don't bother. And I was like, that's so gross. How dare you? You've had a commission and you've got the gall to stand up and try and put off anybody else? Like, yeah. so I, I'm always really mindful of like, again, like I said earlier, managing expectations. So being like, it is tough, like, be under no illusion but please don't let that stop you writing especially if you can do lots of other things while you're writing you know no i think that's that's a message that's come through with a lot of these interviews that it is tough but just crack on you know don't yeah the yeah exactly the figures the likelihood of things happening the fact that other people 
you, like you say, you may even say things that are awful that are being made, and I certainly have that with with films. I, d- I don't waste time being angry about it, but there's some awful stuff that gets made. It's like how just I mean. Why? I waste a bit of time being angry about it. Oh, I love a hate watch. My agent phoned me. He's like, watch this. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you've got to have a bit of, how's that been made? And then you yeah. go, oh, okay. You look up who their dad is on them and you go, oh, that's how that got made. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And listen, funny enough, just sorry, slight side. I was just, I won't name the podcast, but I was listening to a podcast that's basically about um, how people make films. And they were saying to this person about this person who had effectively written a script and had it made as a feature you're like how so of course you're going to listen because it's like mm. how the hell did you go from writing to having it made because there's a huge yawning chasm between yeah 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 and they talked about it they're saying this and then this happened and then i was just googling away who they were and i you know you eventually find out their parents are so-and-so and then you find oh, out always connected to so-and-so you go oh i see how this happened <laughs> always oh my friend's amazing at it in seconds she's googling someone it's, and, and it is validating and we do need to do it because we're like no do you know what I'm doing alright because I've not had any of those the financial backing or those opportunities or those connections and you sort of like you know doesn't help everybody all of the time of course but like it's a it's a bloody good leg up even knowing how the industry works it takes you years to even understand how anything works there's no book you can go and buy in wh smith's that's like oh first you do this these are the production companies then these are agents that you write to there's no step by step it's like no. purposely like um cryptic i find yeah it's like you say like the unsolicited scripts thing is an absolute killer because it's like so how do I get a solicited script? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I know. I used to think, well, what's a what? Um, and some select, some accept them, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a lot. Um, okay. Um, outside of comedy, what do I enjoy doing, and what would be my ideal career? I am. Um, my ideal career is what I'm doing and that's writing comedy and script mm-hmm. consulting. I teach a lot, which I love because I like teaching in the way I wish I'd learn. It's really nice using my, because I've, I've taught drama alongside writing and stuff for years. And I just feel like using my teaching and my writing experience together seems to be working well. I, I'm getting good, you know, results and feedback. So I'd be doing all the stuff I was doing, just being paid so much more money all the time for it. <laughs> um outside of it I do I do loads of side hustles still all the time my friend has a vintage clothes business in Hackney which I work on his store which I love we go buying clothes and selling them on the markets so that's oh, really? great I'd do that if I was a multi-millionaire yeah, um, yeah every time I send an invoice to him I'm like honestly love when I'm loaded I'll come and do it and I won't invoice you um that I adore um I am a huge music fan so I like going to gigs a lot and festivals yeah. and yeah Doing family stuff, stuff with friends, eating, traveling, all the usual stuff that's on the list of things that people like to do if they've got a dating profile or whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, all all I'm uh, normal, I sort of, honest, I'm normal, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I like brunch, bottomless brunch. I don't actually <laughs> like bottomless brunch. I don't like day drinking. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like I'm about spending my money on experiences, not stuff. You know, I've got nothing fancy, but I just. I like to use my time and my money to just have experiences. I tell you, there, there was an advert for a travel company, and yes, I know it was an advert for a travel company, but I, they did make a really good point about you, if if you look back on your life and you've got stuff, that's great, 
But if you look back on your life and you thought you went without that stuff to to travel and to experience and to what do you think will be your better memories when you're sort of you know um, waiting for your final breath? It's like obviously the experiences. Obviously that's going to make you a more rounded person. That's going to bring you all those joys of telling people those stories of when you're in Nepal or I don't know when you were climbing up this mountain here. It's going to be far more interesting than look. I've got another fifty inch plasma telling. It's like no one cares. No one cares. Oh, I know. It's a yeah, a hundred percent. Like, doesn't matter what car you drive. You know, like no. it doesn't. None of that stuff has ever mattered to me. Like, no. it's yeah. It's about. I think that's why I don't think twice about spending money on certain experiences, like a nice dinner with friends or whatever. You know, like I would, but. I think a lot about certain other things. You know, I won't pick up a pair of earrings for £100 and buy them ever. <laughs> you know, like I've never owned expensive stuff. Um, although I look at them and go, I love them, yes. but I'm not going to buy them. But if I spent that on a, a weekend away with friends, then great. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of the reasons I'm um, clearing out the... Tr I don't want to say trash because it was like collectibles and memorabilia, but it is basically trash, let's be honest. One of the reasons I've started clearing out stuff is funny enough because I spoke to someone who does house clearances for a living and he was basically saying most people when they pass they think the family are going to come around and pick up all the treasured items and you know oh, I really must have this I must keep it. He said most of the time they're like when can you come around and empty the oh. house. It's so sad. It really is. I mean it's horrifying and you don't necessarily want to think about it but if you just take out the emotion for a bit, you do think, yeah, because, you know, when when I eventually pass over the veil, I, I'm not for a moment thinking, like, my daughter's going to come around and go, I want every item from this house to creep yeah. into my house. Of course not. She she might say, I'd like that item, um, because that means something. The rest of it, let's just get it on eBay or whatever, you know, get a house clearance place in, get shot of it. I don't need a load of wardrobes. I don't need a load of photos and stuff. All that tat, I suppose, ultimately. Mm. And it is, and it is horrifying. You don't really want to think about it, but equally, you say the experiences, the being able to have those conversations, that time with friends, that, that it, the, the meal out, the, the show you went to, the you know, whatever it was, just so much more depth to it, isn't there, than here's some tat on a shelf I bought. Well, yeah, definitely. And I do like that, um, is it Marie Kondo? That thing of like to spark joy. So like I've got a couple of bits of art mm. that I love and they make me really happy when I see them on the walls, you know? Yeah. And and like, well, this this necklace actually is expensive that I've got on, the, but it was a gift. Yeah. Um, but it's got pictures of my nephews in it, you know? And like, that's yeah, lovely. That's but like, I don't have a hundred necklaces. I just have that, you know? Like, so I, I have bits that are precious to me. I don't ever expect them to be precious to anybody else. But, you know, when, you know, if I go, I'm like, oh, yeah, that whatever wants to happen to them can. But, um, yeah, I think it's about limiting it, isn't it? So, like, not hoarding. So it's about going, I've got a few items I've got. And, and especially, you know, if you do travel, having those, I've got a couple of bits that have got stories, you know, little blankets or items of clothing that I've picked up that I'm like, that reminds me of that time. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I did a thing last year of... um. Things I'd kept for a very long time because I'm so terribly old now. Um, and I just had the view of by now, they'll be going for thousands on eBay and I'll be able to <laughs> And honestly, I, it was the most depressing thing I've ever done. These things I'd kept in boxes, never used, thinking surely by now they'll be collector's items. And you go on eBay and there's another 20 of them for sale for 4 99 You're like, 
Oh, for Christ. Uh... <laughs> Why did I bother? Why did I just get rid of this? So most of it's gone to either charity or, or the bin if I can't recycle it or whatever. But yeah, I, I it dawned on me that this stuff in my head um, mm. that I wanted that was going to be these multi-million pound sales. No, there's, there's 20, 30, 50, 100 other people going, I've got the... Uh... Mad. <laughs> yeah. But it was good mentally to go... Just get rid of it. Just just stop holding on to it. It's never going to be worth anything. Stop with this mad thing you've got that is suddenly going to be worth millions. It isn't. It's just tat to get rid of it. Well, good for you because somebody could have kept hold of it for another 10 years. So do you know what? You you face up to it. You, yeah. So mm. yeah, that's good. Um, your last question's interesting. Um, what's the question you'd like to be asked which no one ever thinks to ask you? Um the only th- do you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? Mm, go on. Can I choose who's asking the question? Yeah, I so it will be Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys, and he'd be asking me if I was single. <laughs> Brilliant choice. Yeah. Good choice. I reckon that's a good one to go out on. Yes. Yeah, I just thought, because it came to my mind that are you single thing, and I thought, oh, it'd be a few of those. <laughs> Other than that, I feel like um, when people ask questions, um they're generally so lovely and open that you can go off on tangents and however you're feeling that day or whatever you want to talk about or whatever might be useful um is where the conversation goes so i i so rarely with the nice or fluid open um podcasts you i i don't come away thinking oh i should have said that or i wish i'd said that you just go with with whatever it is so yeah on this occasion I think that's a great no. That's a great answer. All, all all answers are valid on this, so that's a that's a great answer. So thank you for that. So Beth, um, thank you. Obviously, a big thank you to you for that interview. Um, if you'd like to know more, there'll be links in the show notes. This has been an original podcast production for Like My Two Productions. Thank you for listening. <laughs>